0: As you know, if you're a regular listener of the show, I started this podcast so that I could have access to some really smart people because I believe that success leaves clues. And if you can get around people who are doing really cool things, who've been successful as an entrepreneur or a business leader, they can't help but to give you some information, to to leave a nugget or a theory or an idea behind that you're going to be able to grab and run with. We've been doing this show for four and a half years. We've interviewed over 400 people. And I know I've learned a lot, and I hear from the people who listen that they do too. Uh, I saw a tweet the other day from a guy named Dan Fail, who is a friend of mine now. But uh, I got to know Dan because he was – we were introduced, but he really started listening to the show. And he left a tweet that said he had fallen behind, but after listening kind of to a binge – binging about 10 episodes, he now had a full notebook of things he had to do in his business. And uh, that made me happy. So uh, if you haven't been listening for a while – Go back. We've had a lot of great shows uh, recently. And uh, tune in again in a couple of days because we're going to keep doing this. So today I have with me someone who's really interesting. He's a friend of a friend. I've heard his name a billion times. He works with a lot of entrepreneurs. So I think from his vantage point, he has seen a lot of things, which means he's going to be able to share a lot with us. His name is Larry Albuquerque, and he is with EB Exchange, and he is the managing director. Now The thing about him is he helps you buy or sell sort of that pre-IPO stock. If your company is growing, you got a lot of things going, you're not yet publicly traded, he's the person to talk to, or if you want to invest and get involved with a company like that. So like I said, he's seen a lot of things. So today, we're going to try to pry out of him some of his knowledge. Hey, Larry, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you. So I don't do like really big introductions and bios i don't believe that we need to read something that a pr person sent so why don't you tell the audience a little bit about your company and maybe a little bit about your personal background
1: yeah so i'll i'll start a little bit with my my history my background how i got into this line of work i was an entrepreneur started uh uh uh, 1993, I started a business, venture back business, did it for about four years. And uh, like a lot of people, it's not about getting into the business, it's about getting out of the business. And I had some issues around liquidity, so I uh, needed to solve that. And um, it made me think a lot about that uh, that issue around liquidity, personal liquidity. Um, I started a second back business. And by the time I started that one, my idea had, had, had formulated, which was to do an exchange fund for founders. So it built a nice little network of founders. I called it 11 baskets. Um, at a certain point, I loved starting companies. Uh, but I thought, you know, being on the other side of the table was a really cool idea where you're a venture capitalist and you don't have access to just one company, but you have access to dozens of companies. So my thought was 11 baskets, never put all your eggs in one basket. And uh, so we each put in about 5 or 10% of our, of our stock and, and uh, created this exchange fund. And that's how it started. We had 11 companies that was uh, uh, back in 99, 2000 timeframes. So, um, I did that, um, uh, as you can imagine, the timing was horrible, uh, closed the fund. I literally got on a plane, uh, went to Europe by the time the plane landed. I think the NASDAQ was down about 40%. Um, so it took a really long time for us to see any liquidity, uh, from that first, uh, fund. Yeah. Anyway, and then uh, so a couple years later, did another fund, another fund. We did about five of those funds, had about, you know, about I don't know, 100, 120 companies between those, between those funds. Um, and then eventually by 2007, eight people wanted cash liquidity. The world had changed. Companies had stayed private longer. There were regulatory changes uh, between uh, Sarbanes, Oxley, Dodd, Frank that made it, um, difficult to manage these little funds because we really had tiny little pieces of early stage companies uh, companies were staying private longer valuations were bigger um, and so i said hey you know i'll get you some cash if you come into the fund and and then i did i did that and um eventually got my um got my uh registered i became a registered rep of a broker dealer and that's really what i've been doing for the last 10 years or so and I've done hundreds of deals across dozens of companies, uh, providing you know, probably somewhere close to a billion dollars of liquidity for people now.
0: So you've seen, you've seen a lot between sort of 11 baskets and, and sort of what you do know. You've seen a lot of entrepreneurs kind of go down this path. So what is it that you think leads someone to become an entrepreneur?
1: That's a great question. Um, you know, I have my personal experience, which drove me, which was just the fascination of of creating something and then having that drive to do it and having the tools to do it. Um, but then, you know, with the exchange funds, I talked to, we had about 250 entrepreneurs because most companies had two founders that participated in our funds. So we had, uh, so I, I met a lot of, and those are the ones that actually came in. I met a lot more that didn't wind up coming in for one reason or another, um, and then we did hundreds and hundreds of deals dealing with founders, first employee, first couple of employees, early investors who are all, I consider them all entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, if you're one of the first few, uh, employees at a company, you're an entrepreneur because you're taking just as much of a risk, uh, sometimes financial and, uh, but you know, life risk, other risks, but it's, it's really just people who, People who are willing to take a risk and want to change things uh, and, and see the world from a slightly different place.
0: So what do you think got you into it? I mean, you, you mentioned sort of that excitement of building something, but, but did you have a drive when you were a kid? Did you always think you'd run your own thing? Or is this something that sort of just came along later?
1: You know, I sold coffee and iced tea during the gas lines in the 1970s. <laughs> so I was, that, I was that little kid hustling the cars, waiting in the gas lines. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of had it in my blood. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say in my blood cause none of my parents were entrepreneurs. Uh, Um, but, uh, but yeah, ever since I was a little kid, I had a fascination with it in college. I ran a little business.
0: That's so funny that you bring up selling coffee and tea during the gas lines, because I did something very similar and I forget if it was 1977 or 1978, I know it was during Carter's administration, but I would have been like 11 years old. And I remember going to Winchell's donuts in Arcadia, California. And there was an area, it wasn't right near my house, but near one of my friend's houses. And we would go and we would buy, you know, a wagon full of donuts and we would walk through, and I don't remember I mean it wasn't even a dollar. I mean we, the donuts probably cost 15 cents and we were selling them for a quarter or something like that, but I remember people would sit for hours in the car, so we'd walk around and just sell donuts up and down the thing
1: <laughs> yeah, donuts um that was that was a new invention, and I grew up in New York They weren't uh, they weren't big enough then but yeah we um, you know I did uh we, we did lemonade and, um, so we had a, a, a mix, you know I just bought some cheap little mix, and my mom bought it we yeah. You know, stirred it out, sold it for 50 cents or whatever, a quarter. I can't, I don't even remember what it was. I made like a hundred dollars in a day, which was, you know, for a little kid back oh, in the 70s. Amazing. Yeah. All the money in the world, all the money in the world. And, uh, and then my mom said, oh, you know, and you have to, now you have to pay for your, for your you know, <laughs> raw, raw materials, which was, you know, probably like 60 cents or something. Like, what? You're robbing me blind. <laughs> I, I, I learned about cogs, but my cost of goods
0: sold were. That's right. That's right. So so you talked about when you had the, the, the different funds about meeting sort of these entrepreneurs who were looking at coming into the funds, and some of them did and some of them didn't, but you met hundreds of people. How important do you think it is for entrepreneurs to network? How important is it to get out there and, and meet investors and to meet uh, suppliers and to meet possible employees? How important is it for entrepreneurs to get out there and meet people?
1: No, oh, it's everything. I mean, you have to, if you want to get new ideas, you got to talk to people. Uh, you have to understand your market. You have to understand your product, your users. Uh, what, what do investors want? You know, you have so many different constituents. And uh, if you're not talking to them, you live in a bubble and eventually, eventually your bubble's going to burst.
0: <laughs> so you've been very clear that you like this life of entrepreneurship. Is there anything about it you don't like? Are there any times you think, God, I could have worked for an accounting firm? What am I doing? working
1: for myself <laughs> it was always my dream as a little boy to grow up and be middle management <laughs> um yeah no it was uh you know i i like it i mean i i i love the fact that i talk to you know a dozen people a day from different businesses uh investors entrepreneurs and then my clients are Usually, they're early employees is like my typical, um, but they're, they're engineers, they're salespeople, they're um, uh, CFOs, general counsels. I mean, every you could you know every type of a person. If they need a little bit of liquidity, um, uh, you know, I always get into conversations. A lot of them wind up starting new businesses, and that's why they want to sell their stock. And that you know, and then I'll go off on three four hour long tangents with people. And then I wind up even investing in a lot of the new companies, too. <laughs> so it's uh, it's a lot of fun.
0: Well, in fact, that's one of the things. I was just talking to somebody before we started this interview, and I said, the thing I love about my job, and, and I get to work with all different types of companies, my My topics that I speak about, I call it being industry agnostic. So I speak to law firms and accounting firms and banks and and sort of professional services along those lines, but I also speak at real real estate conferences and retail conferences and things in the construction trade. Um, So it's always different. Every Every single week that I go off to another conference or go to a company to do a training, it's always a different group of people. And I told somebody just like an hour ago, I said, that is, I think, if you ask me what's your favorite part it's that I don't do the same thing every day. I could have a group of 25 doing a training class, or I could have a group of 5,000 where I'm the master of ceremonies and they're all different. I'm, I'm just, that's what I really like about that. And I think it, I think for me, I learn more because I'm around different people. I'm around CEOs and then I'm around line employees and restaurant people. So I like that a lot.
1: Yeah. And you know, sometimes I get the urge like you, I love the fact that you can talk to, you know, so many different people and then, but then sometimes I get the urge to say, I want to actually build something because then is, you know, a lot of times I feel like I'm not building anything. I'm, I'm more of a, you know, uh, wear a thousand different hats and get <laughs> to see a lot of different things. And I'm more on the service side that I am on, uh, on the building side. And I get a little envious of the people who are actually building things. Um, and yeah, you know, so it's, uh, I, I, I would say, uh, that that's the only thing back to your other question. That's the only thing I wish I could change a little bit is sometimes I want to get a little bit more involved.
0: Yeah. So I have a question for you. You get to see a lot of different people. So if somebody came to you and said, you know what? I want to start a business. They know that you've worked for yourself for a long time. You've had your hand in, you know, hundreds of different companies. If somebody came to you and said, I, I want to become an entrepreneur. What advice would you give them if they were coming right out of the gates?
1: You know, I think it depends who it is. If you're really young, if you're just out of college, in college, grad school, you don't have a lot of downside. Um, I would say just go for it. Um, you know, some people have a little bit of a built-in safety system with parents with resources, friends with resources. Some people don't. Um, I think regardless, you could, you could swing for the fences when you're young. You know, I think once you get married, you have kids, you have debt, you have house, you have... Yeah, you know, it's, it's harder to take that. It's harder to take that risk. But um, I would say make sure you know what you're doing. Make sure you have a little bit of a, a background in what you're doing. And, you know, obviously that depends. Like if you're just a brilliant programmer, go for it if you have an idea. But, you know, if you want to start a business in an established industry, you better work in that industry. <laughs> it's, uh, um, but yeah, it, I think it's, uh, but commit. Like if, you're, if you go, go all in. Like there's no, I want to just put one foot in, one foot out. You'll fail, 100%.
0: So I interviewed a guy a few weeks back. His name is Ryan Spong, and he's in the restaurant and food business and has an app that delivers food for larger parties. Not just like, hey, bring me a sandwich, but let's bring the whole company sandwiches. Uh, yeah. And he said the same thing that you just said in, when I asked him that same question. He told a story about he got into prefabricated construction at one point. And three years later, they had to shut that company down because he didn't really have any background in the business. It just kind of appeared and he ran with it. And so his advice was the same thing. Uh, Know your business before you start the business.
1: Yeah, you know, I I wound up doing a little side project a few years back. I got a little bored doing what I was doing, like a lot of people do. And uh, so I said, oh, I'm going to start a – this is probably – six six years ago now or something but it was um a parking spot business you know if you had an extra spot in your garage you could rent it out or if you you know i live in the city and particularly during you know know, if you want to be around chestnut street or in the mission or you know the more busy areas um you walk down the street and you see these empty, you know, somebody has a, like a little parking lot or something or a garage or like, it, you know, it, it should be solvable. Um, but I did it on the side. I hired people to do it. I did my, my main job and I just was burning cash. And I thought I, I, I just got to stop. I got to stop. Either I got to do this full time commit or not. And, and I didn't, I didn't do either one. So I just lost a lot of time and money and learned a good lesson.
0: So that brings up an interesting question. If you're going to really go and be an entrepreneur, do you think you've got to jump right in? I mean, a lot of people say, oh, start a side hustle. But do you think that, that most people who do side hustles, they just kind of putz along? Do you think that jumping in and being dedicated to whatever that company is, is an important part of it?
1: Again, it probably depends what you're doing. Um, you know, if if it's a kind of thing where you're just, you know, selling trinkets, uh, <laughs> you know, sure, do it on the side. Uh, uh, but... But if you're going to start a business where you eventually have to hire people and raise money and get space, you know, even, even being in an office, if you're not in the office and you have employees, they're not going to work hard. You know, you have to be there. Everybody has to be around the table. You have to work hard uh, and, and set the tone, set the example, set the culture. Uh, and culture is obviously a huge thing. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it depends a lot. Um, what are you doing
0: Well even as a solopreneur right I mean I have a lot of people who come to me who say I want to become a professional speaker I love that and I met with this one woman and she's like I just want to speak 10 times a year for $10,000 all in Austin because I want to stay home with my kids and I'm like yeah I don't think the business works that way You know, I I mean, if you're famous, maybe, but she wasn't famous and she was like, yeah, I just want to I just want to do 10 speeches a year for $10,000, but I don't want to get on an airplane and I don't want to start off by speaking at Rotary Clubs and I don't want to have to be online filming videos. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think you get to dabble and make a six figure income as a speaker. And she's like, but that's what I want. And I'm like, yeah, I think it's a 50 hour a week job even just to get yeah, to the level I, you want to get
1: to. I, I want to play for the Warriors, but I don't want to go on the road. I just want to do the home games, Yeah, you know, <laughs> play a quarter or two because I'm not, in, you know, I'm probably not in good
0: enough shape to keep up with those guys. I got stopped in the airport the other day and somebody told me, you look like Steve Kerr. And I said, yeah, but my bank account doesn't look like Steve Kerr. Yeah. So speak, speaking of the, the like Warriors, Steve. speaking of the Warriors, that's my, uh, my claim to fame is I look a little bit like Steve Kerr, but not enough to make the kind of Steve Kerr money. <laughs> so, I have a question for you. So one of the things I do is I I teach people about this gap that exists between potential and performance and how a company can get their teams and individuals moving across that gap. Now, I tell everybody, you're never going to reach your potential because if you're going through life properly, as you move across the gap from potential to results, you're going to read a new book. You're going to hear a podcast. You're going to get a new mentor. You're going to get an advanced certificate or a degree. Your potential is going to shift. So it's really just a continuous journey journey. Chasing that potential. You're never going to get all the way there. However, you've seen it in business. Some people who have a lot of potential fly across that gap and achieve yeah. amazing things. And other people fall into the abyss, even though they have the same amount of potential. So why do you think some people, even though they all start with potential, some people go farther than others?
1: You know, I think, I think there's two, two answers to that. One is, uh, is, is luck. And the other is tenacity. I mean, if you just have to keep going, you know, you read about the guys who hit it big the first time a lot. You know, I don't know, Google, Facebook, they were very young, they started a business. That is not the norm. The norm is you fail, you fail, you try, you try, you have a modest hit, modest hit, modest hit, Um, you know, and, and it might take five, six, seven times, or even one business, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, it could take five, six, seven, eight, nine years to get some traction, and uh, you have to be realistic about that.
0: In, in my world, uh, they they talk about the overnight success takes ten years, and I've seen it with so many people who you know make it as authors and speakers and podcasters and and coaches, and they literally did take ten years of just sort of bouncing along and doing fine, and then one day, whether it was tenacity, whether it was luck, or whether it was the stars lined up and and magic fairy dust came down. All of a sudden, they're all over the news. You see them being interviewed on CNN. They're speaking at all these big things. The 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 UN brings them in to speak, and you're like, wait a minute, that guy was like, I was buying him coffee two years ago, but yeah. they, they just keep sort of pressing along. So I think that's a I think that's a fair a fair answer. Anything you want to add to that?
1: Well, I would just say that uh, you know, Silicon Valley is uh, it makes it a little unrealistic because you can go from zero to a million in no time flat. And the real world doesn't always work like that. And those are the people that you read about. Uh, But most of the people in the world, you don't read about them. And they're very successful people. I mean, it always amazes me. I go go on vacation, whether it's up to Sonoma or go to Europe. And there's always a hotel that's really expensive, filled with really rich people. And I think how many rich people are there in the world? This is crazy. You go skiing or beach or whatever, and either they're bankrupting themselves or they're not, but it makes you think that there's a lot of very, very successful people, not just the people you read about in the news. And that, that always is, amazes me. There's just, uh, you know, people it out their whole lives. And, I,
0: I was and, laughing that Ferrari announced they were going to come out with a hybrid electric Ferrari and it was going to start at like five hundred dollars or $600,000. And I laughed. And, you know, I live in Austin, Texas. I'm like, you know, that's what my house costs. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, imagine having so much money. You're like, yes, I'll get the electric Ferrari. You know, yeah. it's just $600,000. So, Larry, I've got a couple more questions for you. But before I can let you go, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast, they set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Larry Albuquerque. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Larry, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing in your business right now?
1: Coolest thing I'm doing now. Um, I, uh, well, I'll tell you about the coolest company I'm working with. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to plug the company or not, but sure. I'm gonna plug do it. it, what the hell? <laughs> You know, it's a company called TAE Technologies. Very cool. They're they're going to solve fusion. Uh, they're going to cure cancer, <laughs> and they're going to do a bunch of other things. It is truly the most unbelievable company. Um, yeah, you can go to the website at tae dot com. It's it's really unbelievable. So that's one that I really like working with because um, I, I I just think that the things that they're doing are going to impact our world and my kids more than any other company I've ever um, encountered. It's really, really cool
0: stuff. So that's got to be one of the most fun parts of your job compared to a lot of people I I interview is that you get to see so many different types of companies like that. I mean, is that, we talked a little bit about it before, but is that, is that cool?
1: That is, it it really is. I mean, I can, I can tell you about, uh, gosh, I, I could spend hours talking about some of the companies Um, that are really just world changing companies, whether it's, I don't know, doing things in, in space, uh, transportation, uh, there's another company I love called Ronnie Therapeutics. Um, and some of these, by the way, I I invest in them too. I don't know if I'm supposed to make that disclosure, but, uh, I'm an investor in these companies as well, but they are cool companies regardless. Um, but yeah, Ronnie Therapeutics is a super cool one too. It's like a little robotic pill, so you don't have to take injections anymore. Um, there's, uh, I mean, gosh, there's there's so many. And then in a software company, some of them seem very dull, but they really do change people's lives and make things easier. And um, you know, and then other things that I do, I get involved. Well, anyway. I, I can talk I can talk forever about a lot of these companies.
0: <laughs> well, I'll kind of let you transition then into the next question. And I love to ask everyone who comes on the show who it is out there in the world of entrepreneurs that they admire. Because, Larry, we could talk about you and, and your experience all day long. But I think great entrepreneurs, I think they're observers. And you are right. You're out in Silicon Valley. You're right. We, we, we tend to go, ooh, over Zuckerberg and people like that. But, you know, aside from the super famous people – Who is it that you look at in the entrepreneur sphere and go, wow, he or she, they're cool.
1: Um, Yeah, that's a, I haven't thought about that one. I don't have a canned answer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, you know, I, what I, what I think is really cool are the guys who, and women um, who have an idea that is just different. They're out ahead of it. They have to convince people, drag and beat people along <laughs> to, to to really buy in, and then they create these successful businesses. And you know, I have friends that uh, I've done this. They, they, a friend of mine started a company called Trinet. I don't know why it just popped into my head, but it took him 20 years, and then he, was, he wound up being extremely successful. But that was a business that, by all measures, is kind of a dull, boring business, but really changed... Uh, human resource management, which is a really important function, it took him a really long time. Had a lot of near death experiences, but uh, but yeah, he made it really successful, and uh, and he's done great things with the platform. So,
0: so the last question I ask everybody who comes on the show is is sort of where they where they get involved with giving back to the greater good. I think as as entrepreneurs, it's more than making money, and it doesn't have to be donations of cash. Sometimes it's time. Sometimes it's good vibes and volunteering. But one of the coolest things is just to find out the, the little things that entrepreneurs have done along the way to serve that greater society. So, so what do you do?
1: So a, a while back, I realized that my skill is in dealing with private stock. <laughs> Whether I like it or not, it's, it's, it's what I do. It's, it's, what I, uh, it's what I know. And I started a long time ago. Getting um, convincing people to donate stock to not-for-profits. And the reason you do this is because if you donate stock, you get this great tax deduction. Most people think it's only with with uh, art and cars and, and public stock, but you can do it with private stock too. And you get this amazing tax deduction and you can really help charity. Um, and some of them that I work with have made, you know, where people have donated to um, junior achievement, um, I did a lot of work with the X prize at one point um, and uh, the even my local jcc and you know there's a, a um, people give to their schools their universities um, but it 's amazing because people can give a few shares of stock which can turn into hundreds of thousands of dollars and in one case, uh, it turned into uh, millions of dollars. <laughs> Uh, so it, you know, it's a, it's a really powerful thing. Um, and it's something that I, I wish I could do more of. I wish I could convince more people to, to donate stock, uh, because it's, it's like playing with chips in a casino. When you have millions of shares and you give away a few tens of thousands, it's not, it, it's, it's not taking food out of anybody's mouth, but it can really have an impact. Maybe it's worth zero, but maybe it's worth a lot. So that's one thing. And then, uh, and then there's a couple of, uh, not-for-profits that are near and dear to my heart. Like one uh, that I just went to an event for, and a good friend of mine, uh, Alan Schenken, is he got me involved. It's called the Challenge Athletes Foundation. And it's just, it's incredible. It's uh, it's the kind of thing where insurance isn't paying, the government's not helping, but it's it supports um, kids and adults who lose limbs, who need special prosthetics to play sports. And sports is the one thing that really brings us back our dignity and love of life and and if you're a kid without a a limb and you can't you can't run around you can't play basketball you can't um you know uh surfing or biking or running and you can't be with other kids it's you know it takes away so much of your childhood so anyway that's one that um big big supporter of
0: yeah, but both of those things, all that is awesome. And I, that's why I love asking this question and that's one of the things I hear from regular listeners all the time is they love that question because we don't see a lot of that talked about in sort of the technology press or the, you know, the the business news. I mean, we see it when Bill Gates says I'll give, you know, I'll give everything away and and things like that. But when the regular entrepreneur says I can donate a few shares or I can support this cause, all of a sudden, you know, every single episode we hear from somebody about what they're doing and that's how we change the world. So I think that's great. Thank you so much for sharing that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and by the way, I do have a little pet peeve if I could just share it with Bill Gates. (laughs) Please. Um,
0: (laughs) I'm sure he listens.
1: Well, it's actually not with, it's actually not with Bill Gates, but it's with, it's with the system. I mean, the fact that he's going to give away a hundred billion dollars or whatever, you know, that's great. But there needs to be like a limit, right? He gives away $100 billion, but he never pays the taxes up to the $100 billion. He gets <laughs> donated, then he gets to deduct $100 billion. So society is missing out on whatever the taxes he would have paid, which is probably, you know, in the neighborhood of uh, $20 billion if it's cap gains on $100 billion. Plus, he gets the deduction on the $100 billion. You know, not that he's going to use it all. But, you know, and good for him that he's giving it away. But there's a certain point where society should make those decisions. Anyway, that's my little uh, pitch.
0: We welcome welcome pet peeves and and, and things like that. And I'm sure that Bill Gates listens to every episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. If if he doesn't, he should. He he told me he's a big fan. See, that's what I figured. He and Zuckerberg – uh, I interviewed a guy a couple of weeks ago who knew Zuckerberg, and I'm like, I'd love to interview him. And we just blew past that. Nobody said, Well, I'll make the introduction. So it's like, Oh, well, I tried. <laughs> hey, Larry, this was great. If somebody's listening to this and they want to find out more about you, about your company, where do they go?
1: Uh, probably the best thing to do is just, just go to my website, ebexchange.com.
0: Ebexchange.com. Thank you so very much for sharing your story and your ideas here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I appreciate it. Okay, great. Thanks. Hey, and thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every time. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. If you like cool things entrepreneurs do, I got two favors to ask. I mean, the show's free. You didn't have to pay for it. These are easy. Number one, go over to iTunes and subscribe. New show, our shows get ranked and found because people are subscribing. Uh, Walk around your office, steal everybody's iPhone, make them subscribe, even if they don't know. I'll probably don't do that, but tell the the other favor is tell a friend. When I talk to somebody who says that they listen to this show, I always ask, how did you discover it? And almost everybody says, my mom told me, my boss told me, my best friend listens, and that's how everybody finds the show. So if you like it, talk about it, tweet about it, put it out there, tell somebody to find this as their Entrepreneur Business Podcast. Hey, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Larry. And I know you're thinking, how will you find that? We always do. But in the meantime, go out there on your journey Find your way across that gap from potential to performance. Try some new things. And while you're at it, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at tom.singer.